You're listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. We offer ideas to make your tabletop role-playing games even better. The Helpful NPCs podcast is not safe for work. Our immaturity is matched only by our vulgarity. You can check us out at helpfulnpcs.com or contact us at info at helpfulnpcs.com. Welcome to Chapter 1 of the Helpful NPCs podcast. Chapter 1 will be Welcome to Role-Playing Games. Episode 1 is going to be an introduction to the topic, What is Dungeons & Dragons or Other Role-Playing Games? Episode 2 is going to be an introduction to your first game. And Episode 3 will go over some information to create your first character. So, Episode 1. What is Dungeons & Dragons or Other Similar Role-Playing Games? If you are coming to this podcast as someone who's never played any sort of role-playing game, I want to say welcome to the hobby. Don't be afraid to dive in and play the game. There's certainly been a lot of negative press about gamer culture being toxic or people not being welcoming or gatekeeping. That's honestly been the opposite of my experience. Most people that like role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons want to share those experiences with other people and are really going to welcome you to the hobby. I would say we've had a number of fantastic experiences teaching new people how to play or even inexperienced people if you don't have a lot of experience. And frankly, if someone is telling you you're lesser or gatekeeping you because you don't have a certain amount of experience at the game, feel free to tell them to fuck off and find a new game. Sometimes you need to tell people to fuck off. So, Jacob, how would you describe tabletop role-playing games to someone who's never played one? So in a tabletop role-playing game, it usually means that you are playing the role of a single character uh, in a shared world that you're sharing with the other players, and then one player in particular known as the Game Master or Dungeon Master, the title of that person varies from system to system, um, basically plays everyone else other than the single character that each of the players is playing. It's a little bit of a cross between a board game, uh, improv theater, and storytelling. It's very flexible as you are in control of what your character does, what they say, how they react to things. Um, And it can really go in any direction that you and your other players, your fellow players, want to take it in. Okay, so what are these games about, would you say? Like, what is Dungeons & Dragons about? Well, Dungeons & Dragons um, is the most popular role-playing game Mm -hmm. um, in existence. I don't think there's any debate about that whatsoever. And Um, there are numerous versions of it. The fifth edition, the fifth official edition, is currently what everybody is playing, but there are even a couple of side editions, so there are probably nine versions of D&D you can play. There's a lot out there, yeah. Um, And that game is about, uh, is a fantasy game for the most part, uh, about having adventures, defeating evil, accumulating power and money and wealth, and basically just the the classic fantasy tropes of journeying across a strange land fighting strange beasts i would specifically add that dungeons and dragons is very much a zero to hero style of game where you're climbing your way up and becoming a 
uh, sort of demigod within the game. Yes, and I would say while it is in very like pseudo-European settings, there is something very American dream about <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. So when you read a lot of other fiction like The Hobbit, for example, or even Tom's going to tell me to read another book, but Harry Potter, a lot of people, the things that make them special are inborn traits, which is a very sort of, I would argue, a more European concept. Mm hmm. Because, you know, they have all these old bloodlines. But in Dungeons and Dragons, you're going from nothing to the most powerful beings in the universe. Yeah. And that's a very that like pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You, you might be slightly above the average person in your field, but you will achieve success by grinding and slaying monsters and by putting in the work. And in that way, it also sounds like a Korean MMO. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dungeons and Dragons is, like I said, the most popular role playing game. Mm -hmm. But there are many, many other ones um, across every genre, across every style of game from your gritty tactical combat games mm -hmm. to very uh, rules light storytelling fluffy games where everybody's just there to have a good time. Um, some examples of this Savage Worlds is one that uh, this particular group has played quite a bit. It's actually my favorite. I like Dungeons and Dragons, but Savage Worlds hits me deep. Yeah, um, that is kind of like a pulpy action adventure game where the action is fast and furious. Another very popular uh, role playing game uh, is Vampire, or the World of Darkness, uh, I guess you'd say product line, and their related games, Werewolf, Franchise. Mage. There you go. Um, it was more popular in the 90s and early 2000s, yeah. but it's, it's still around. And that's uh, a game about uh, gothic horror and kind of personal horror, where you play a very flawed, uh, monstrous character who has to do terrible things to survive in a world that doesn't give a shit about you. So, Tom, tell me a little bit about the history of these role-playing games and give me a sort of detailed account of what a role-playing game looks like. Well, the one of the Midwest claim to fame is the invention of the role-playing game right not far from us. Oh, hey, I'm just going to scooch in there. <laughs> yep. Uh, started out in the, uh, I think it was Lake Geneva area in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, what happened was there's a group of Midwestern board or war gamers, including two notable fellows, Dave Arnson and Gary Gygax. And they started the whole, uh, basically, they, they were the progenitors of the hobby. Um, the game that we all know and love is Dungeons and Dragons that started the started everything originated as Chainmail, which was just a war game for recreating fantasy battles. Um, eventually fantasy elements creeped in with wizards and dragons because that's stuff that because they're all, awesome. Yeah. Well, and also there was a big Tolkien resurgence during the seventies. That's when the Silmarillion came out. Yep. 
Oh, God. And then... then, Oh, no. (laughs) So the rules, of course, focused originally on you're controlling a whole army, but they gradually evolved to controlling a single character with, like, a troop of followers or hirelings, and then it gradually just pushed into being more of a single character game. So... When you role play in games today, and we're going to touch on this a little bit, you are inhabiting and typically speaking as that character. Do we know where that idea came from? Because I've seen and played miniature games and it seems like such a jump to suddenly I'm speaking as this character. I'm pretending to be this character. You know, we're big board gamers and we don't do anything like role playing when we play board games. Oh, speak for yourself. I think it just sort of, because of the game's vast popularity, the player base just exploded. Um, and all of that stuff be- just sort of crept in naturally. The games originally were not a product in the way that you would think of something being today, like a video game that's like, it's got specific themes, ideas, systems that are set up in place and then play tweaks, play tested, all that. It was more like a whole hodgepodge of pulp fiction, sword and sorcery, fantasy. Um, we're going to throw in magic swords and laser guns and There's a surprising spells. amount of, of uh, science fiction uh, influences in the early Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, point being, as the rules gradually narrowed to focus more on a single character, I think the actual role-playing and theatrical elements started to take over. You obviously, if you're controlling a hundred dudes at once, you're not going to be like role-playing, giving them voices. But if you're playing Moonflower, the elf druid, you're going to be giving her more of all your attention, all your cognitive load is focused on Moonflower's decisions. Point being, as the game evolved, we've got a a plentitude of editions, and today here we are with 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. That's awesome. So, what does a game look like, typically? Like, do sort of a point-by-point what a game would look like for a hypothetical player. So, in a uh, traditional role-playing game where you have a dungeon or game master who's controlling the game... He essentially narrates a situation, telling you what your character sees, hears, smells, all that thing, anything they can perceive. Um, You as the player take on the persona of your character and imagine from their perspective how they react to this situation. Um, you might voice act as your character taking on a froofy accent or... Uh, play acting all the various mannerisms um you may not you may narrate from third person just saying bilbo the hobbit walks over to the door and uh, presses his ear against it and one thing that's important to say about that and we'll probably go into this in a future podcast is it's completely acceptable to switch to at your convenience we've played with people that think they always need to be in first person It's okay to say, I summarize that information for the rest of my friends. And we've played with people that are always in third person. Generally, then, as you you decide what your character will do, um, and then at a sort of pivotal decision point, you will uh, use 
dice or sometimes a board and you roll them um, to essentially consult, see how if your character is successful or endangered or what what ultimately happens in that situation. And that the dice rolling, the the determination of what happens is kind of the the real key that separates a role playing game from just make believe play mm-hmm. like a kid would do. Um, because you are, your character may have certain strengths, which would help in doing certain actions. Yes. But ultimately in most role-playing games, there is an element of chance. Um, and whenever an action is, has a chance of failure or is like narratively interesting that you could fail, um, or maybe even has, uh, you need to know the degree at which you succeed Mm -hmm. or fail. That's when you would add in that dice rolling element that, deterministic element of all right i'm gonna see if i'm gonna attack this uh orc or whatever Mm. i'm gonna see if i hit and if i hit i can do damage if i don't i miss and there are diceless games and there are games that use cards um one of my favorite convention games uses a jenga tower Mm -hmm. to delineate failure and success uh it's called dread Uh, but the vast majority, at least 99% of role-playing games do use dice and in that, some that is, capacity. That is the game portion of it. Absolutely. Yep. And so after you cast the dice, the GM will determine how, um, how successful or unsuccessful you are. And the situation changes and there's a narration and then it fall the process repeats. You go back to the character's point of view, imagining what they're seeing um, and then reacting appropriately. And then this gameplay process continues over and over until you're finished. So, Jacob, why do people play these games, do you think? Because there are as many reasons as players. So there are a lot of reasons, like you said, Ryan, about why people play role-playing games. Um, one reason for a good number of players, and I would I would say probably an older generation of players, is the challenge of the game itself. Ooh. They like the uh, tactical decision-making in combat. They like trying to figure out how this puzzle works so they can proceed onwards into uh deeper into the wizard's lair um they like the feeling of uh, accomplishment that comes with overcoming a difficult battle Mm -hmm. as a team so that's a big part of it for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um another element is the storytelling element right like when you read a, a book or watch a movie you are being told a story you are being shown a story Mm -hmm. but in a role-playing game you are creating the story as you go, which is an experience that very few other mediums can give you. And you're doing it with your friends. Yes. Um, and that's that's another reason. Some people just like to hang out with their friends and mm-hmm. have fun. And this is a great way to do that. It, it provides a structure for you to have social interaction. Yeah, I've played. I've actually played with numerous people over the years that... If you ask them why they play, they couldn't tell you. They're like, eh, I want to hang out with my friends. I'm like, all right. Yeah. That's um, cool as long as you show up and participate. Yeah, that's a perfectly fine reason. Mm-hmm. Um, some people uh, have a more like theatrical approach. Oh, yeah. And they love playing characters that are very different. 
mm-hmm. uh, from themselves or even from previous characters. Show off played. a funny accent you just mastered or play a piece of shit if you're a good person in real life. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. And the the game master as running almost every single character in the world other than the ones their players are playing gets to do lots of that. Um, so if you had to pick why you play, what are what are triggers for you? Because I know a couple for me. What are triggers for you, Jake? Um, I love the storytelling aspect of it. I mean, I, I to a certain degree, I, I play for all of these reasons. Fair like, enough. If you're an enthusiastic enough nerd, you probably like all of these things. But you have to have a couple that that hit your spots. Yeah, for me, it's really the storytelling. Um, I love to be able to be whether I'm. Uh, running a game or playing in a game, I love to be able to go in and have this situation, have the environment and a plot that's going on in the background. And I love to be able to interact with that, mm-hmm. change the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to have a character who has motivations in the world that I'm in mm-hmm. and play to advance those motivations, whether it be for the benefit of everybody or just for the benefit of themselves um yeah that's that's one of the really cool things that i like about role-playing games what about you absolutely uh so the big ones for me are i was a child with a super overactive imagination and a big thing for me is immersion uh tom has for example gone on vacation with me and he knows i have a big heart on for disney world and I've explained to him, it's not because the rides are amazing. It's the immersion. When you're in fantasy land, it looks like fantasy land. So because I've always had a very vivid imagination, I like to really be in the story and really put myself in it as much as I can. And another thing that really uh, hits a lot of spots for me is the ability to interact with the story So I don't as much care about the story as you do. It's the ability to sort of be in that character's skin and and push things in a direction that I want. So So you you like to fuck things up for the game master? Is that what you're saying? I don't (laughs) do it on purpose, but it's happened. Um, My example for this is always Harry Potter. Read another book <laughs> this is the second time i've referenced harry potter We're only episode I'm one not even that into harry potter um but harry potter is a good example because harry potter is a pussy and i find it a little stressful to read some of harry potter's adventures because i want to step into his skin and be like hey listen mcgonagall shut the fuck up do you remember last the last two years of school when you didn't listen to me? No, I'm right. You're going to listen to me, bitch. Uh, because that's what or, I would or, yeah, say. At least take me seriously. At least take me seriously. Yeah. Listening to him be a huge pussy all the time is unbelievably like stressful. And it's the same in a lot of shows that you watch. You know, I don't like shows where the protagonist is really weak because I sort of indirectly feel that stress of like, why are you? backing down and being so weak. And I, you know, I want to step in there because I'm like, I know what I'd say in this situation. Um, what what do you find are hooks, Thomas? For me, one of a couple of the big hooks are the immersion is the number one. I really enjoy the idea of 
exploring the unknown mm. um, from my character's perspective. Sure. For me, it's I've I've described it before as sort of a um, imaginative tactile sensation where the character is moving through this fictional world. And so I can do things like, you know, quote unquote, feel with using description and narration like, okay, I move the ferns aside or I pull up the the uh, or open up the coffin and peer inside. When you hear the little squeak and you feel how grimy it is. Yeah, exactly. And so that that. Sort the ability to be within this fantasy locale, but it's not just a book. It's something where you can actually, you have agency within it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like a choose your own adventure almost. And most of the people that Dungeons and Dragons or other role playing games appeal to tend to be people that have those very active imaginations, which is sort of the point we'll end on. Would you enjoy playing? Um, I think by this point, just listening to this podcast, you have an idea if you would enjoy playing role-playing games. You probably would enjoy it if you're even asking yourself that question. But I would say there are a few reasons you might want to play. Number one is, of course, that overactive imagination that I talked about. If having someone describe to you the walls of a dungeon seems like it would be more real to you than watching The Witcher or Lord of the Rings, you're probably a person who would enjoy these games. Another question would be, do you have friends that play? If your friends play and you're similar to your friends, you probably would enjoy playing, or you should probably at least give it a try to have something to do with your friends. And of course, touching on Jacob's point, do you like creating stories? You're not going to create the world's best, most elaborate, interesting plot, but if creating a story that you had a hand in and got to interact with appeals to you, these are probably games that you should at least give a solid shot. So with that, we're going to close out. If you want to head over to our episode two, as I said earlier, we'll be discussing your first game. And in our episode three, we'll be discussing your first character. Thank you for listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. For more content, check us out at HelpfulNPCs.com. If you have any feedback or requests for topics, you can reach us at info at helpfulnpcs.com. 